Hello there, and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent, and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined this week by guest analyst Solis Chuku in Lagos, Nigeria, and by Stuart Weir, who's currently at the Tokyo Olympics in Japan. Well, on this week's show, we look at the football tournaments in Tokyo with Ivory Coast and Egypt through to the men's quarterfinals, and we hear from Stuart. Also, we talk about Serbian coach Militin Mitro Sredjevic's return to coach Uganda for the second time, and we speak to Ramon Aziz, a Nigeria international who plays for Granada in Spain. From the beginning, you know, it's very difficult. But with time, I, I got used to it, talking about the food and, and the language, you know. And also Aziz tells us who his most difficult opponent has been in the Spanish La Liga. So Ida's away this week. Our guest analyst is Solis Chuku, an African football journalist in Lagos in Nigeria. Hi there, Solis. Hi, Steve. It's a real pleasure to be on. Thank you for having me. Yeah, great to have you with us, uh, Salis. So let's start at the Tokyo Olympics. And in the men's football competition, the quarterfinals are on Saturday with two of the three African teams still in it. Now, Ivory Coast were impressive in the group stage with a win over Saudi Arabia and then draws with Brazil and Germany. And Egypt did well to finish runners-up in a tight Group C while South Africa lost all of their games and finished bottom of Group A. In the quarterfinals, Ivory Coast plays Spain. Egypt are up against Brazil. Brazil, uh, your hopes going into the knockout stage, Salis? I think it's important to state that all three African teams gave reasonably good accounts of themselves. Even South Africa, who went out in the group stage, were unfortunate to lose against France, and really were only outclassed against Mexico in the final group game. Egypt in the quarterfinal will face Brazil, who have been an irresistible attacking force to this point, with Everton's Richarlison leading the line. However, it's clear working to the Brazil side that they can't be frustrated and Ivory Coast showed how in their second group game. Um, even though Brazil played with 10 men, Ivory Coast were so able to shut them down successfully and that should hold some hope for Egypt. Egypt, um, on the other end, really only arrived as an attacking force in this tournament in the final group game against Australia. They've struggled to replace the impact that um, Mustafa Mohamed who was their top scorer during the African qualifying has. He was withheld by Galatasaray and wasn't a part of the squad. And so far, they've struggled to get the balance right in attack. Coach Shoki Garib had to compensate by putting in one extra attacking player against Australia, and that made the difference. But I think against Thailand, Brazil, we'll see them batting down hatches a little bit more. We already know they can do that based on their draw against Spain. The question is, can they hurt Brazil themselves? That's the big question there. Um, Ivory Coast face Spain, which is a really tough proposition. Spain have a lot of quality in their team and they play a very ball-dominant possession style. However, they do lack cutting edge in attack and that's a theme really throughout their whole international setup going all the way back to the Euros um, this summer. Spain only scored two goals in the group stage and tend to start games really slowly. So against the Cote d'Ivoire side that have played with Naus, um, and have picked their moments to strike. Uh, it's a really tricky one to pick a winner in that. Cote d'Ivoire will fancy themselves because they have the physicality to disrupt Spain's um, passing game in midfield, and they have the speed of Max Grader, who has been really impressive to break into space on the counter. So um, if you're asking me which of these two teams stand a better chance of going through, I would say probably Ivory Coast spring a shock against Spain. Um, Brazil, you feel, might have too much for each, too much attacking talent. 
and um, ultimately Egypt's inability to find a balance between defence and attack will be their undoing, I think. Yes, it certainly looks like Ivory Coast are the brighter prospect than Egypt. And uh, I do like the way that uh, they brought in their overage players who really are making a big impact. Uh, Max Gradel, as you say there, Solis, and Frank Hesse and Eric Bailly as well, uh, giving uh, Ivory Coast uh, a bit of extra impact. And in the women's football, Africa's sole representatives, Zambia, finished third in their group with one point after a 10-3 loss to the Netherlands, then a 4-4 draw with China and a 1-0 defeat to Brazil, where the Xi Polo Polo played most of the game with 10 women. What's your assessment of how they did uh, there at the Olympics for the first time, Solis? Really, I think the group standings paint a much different picture from the reality I mean, coming in, it was immediately clear to everyone that considering the fact this was their first time appearing in the women's football event at the Olympics, Zambia were facing an uphill battle, facing such a difficult group. And so that, you know, tempered expectations a little bit. The most anyone really could have expected from them was to play in a bold, fearless fashion and leave an imprint on the competition. And at the end of the day, they did exactly that scoring seven goals over the course of the three matches. That's in a group featuring Brazil, Netherlands and China. Um, that's more than any other African nation have been able to put together in a single Olympics tournament. So that's something really impressive. In terms of the actual play on the pitch, I thought some of the combinations they were able to put together in attack were really good. Um, Barbara Banda really emerged as a star of the competition, scoring um, two hat-tricks in back-to-back games. and. Really, with better defensive coordination um, in terms of gauging the depth of their defensive line and in terms of defending transitions, they might have gotten themselves a win. I mean, in the China game, they were ahead going into the final 10 minutes, so if they could have just held out, that would have been a very famous win for Zambian football. So all things considered, Zambia can take a lot of encouragement from their outing, and I think this really positions them um, as a heavyweight or a potential heavyweight going forward in Africa women's football. Yes, as Zambia's women performing better than that one point in three games would suggest. Solis Chukwu in Lagos, Nigeria, our guest analyst on Planet Sport Football Africa this week. Show brought to you by Passion for Sport. Uh, still on the women's football at the Olympics. Uh, great to see a team of five African women referees officiating the quarterfinal between Great Britain and Australia. There's Salima Mukasanga of Rwanda, Mary Njorage of Kenya, Patience Madu of Nigeria, Bernadetta Quimbi of Malawi and Maria Sinkela of Mauritius. Uh, great going there. Right, we can go to Tokyo now. Last week, Stuart Weir told us that he was planning to travel to the Olympics, uh, but that there were many complications. Uh, well, Stuart, you did make it. Tell us about your impressions so far. Well, I arrived in Tokyo last Saturday afternoon. The flight was one of the best I've ever had. An aeroplane to seat 300 people with just 40 passengers. There was certainly plenty of space to stretch out. And the reason that there were so few passengers is that foreigners who are not accredited to the Olympics are simply not allowed into Japan at the moment. On arrival at Tokyo Airport, Olympic stakeholders, as they called us, were asked to remain in their seats while the Japanese people uh, left the plane. We were then escorted through a series of stations, each one checking a particular aspect of her documentation. The officials staffing these desks were either Tokyo 2020, 
Japanese immigration or the routine airport arrival staff. My name, date of birth, etc. must have been checked by 15 different people as they processed my negative test certificate, my vaccination certificate, the apps I had to download, my activity plan, my boarding plan, my hotel booking, etc. Then we had to do a saliva COVID test and wait for the result. Finally, just short of two hours after landing, I was given a stamp in my passport and my accreditation for the Games. Well, that sounds like that was really challenging. And uh, Stuart, what's the mood like in the city uh, there in Tokyo? Because we have seen protests on TV against the Games. I haven't seen a lot yet because having arrived on Saturday... I was required to remain in my hotel room until Wednesday morning, being COVID tested every day. Since I have been out and about in the last few days, I've seen no signs of any protests, but I've equally seen no sign of the kind of euphoria you get in, for example, a World Cup host country. I think if you look at it from the local population's point of view, even if you had doubts about whether the game should take place, The idea of hundreds of thousands of tourists coming into your country, staying in hotels, eating in restaurants, using taxis, shopping was good news for the economy. And you yourself would have an opportunity to watch the games live. But the reality now for the Japanese people is no spectators, neither Japanese nor foreign, and an estimated 75,000 athletes, officials and media who are in Japan, are not allowed to go to restaurants or bars, nor to tourist sites. They're not allowed to shop, and they're not allowed to use taxis. So you might feel that as a taxpayer, you're footing the bill for the games without gaining any benefit whatever from it. Normally, at Olympics, the local people can buy tickets to watch the games. At the same time, they can watch some events free, like the marathon, the walking races, road cycling. This time there are no spectator tickets and people are being told not to watch the street events. It certainly is a games like none other. Well, thanks, Stuart. Uh, Really interesting uh, insights there. And the Olympics end next weekend. Now, away from the Olympics, Serbian coach Militin Micho Shredrovic has returned to coach Uganda for the second time after leaving them in 2017. He took the cranes to the 2017 Africa Cup of Nations, ending a 39-year wait, but left later that year due to non-payment of salaries. Uh, Micho then coached Orlando Pirates in South Africa, had a very brief spell with Zama, in Egypt and then became Zambia national team coach, uh, parting ways with them a couple of weeks ago. Uh, what do you think of Micho's return to Uganda, Salis? It does feel like a bit of a homecoming for Micho, as you said. It seemed like since he departed in 2017, he has not quite put down roots anywhere. I thought he did quite well in charge of Orlando Pirates. He qualified them for the Champions League finished second in the PSL and won something like 48% of his matches. But then he left abruptly for personal reasons. And after that, there was a brief spell with Zamalek, which did not go well before he got the Zambia job. Um, There will no doubt be the sense that Micho filled with Zambia, who have a promising crop of young talents. The likes of Patsandaka, Enoch Mwepu and Fashion Sakala have made moves to the UK this summer, underlining the level of talent that's available to Zambian football. So, understandably, there were high expectations, but under him, results were quite mixed. 
and Zambia's failure to defend the Kosafa Cup, I mean, they lost the group stage to Lesotho and Eswatini and crashed out, probably doomed Mitchell and made him a dead man walking. So you can understand Zambia cutting ties with him as they did. Um, returning to Uganda, ultimately, I feel is a good move for both parties. Uganda could do with a little bit of stability since they lost Sebastian de Saab in 2019 after the AFCON. They've not really been able to find sure footing again. And so we return to the man who put them on the map in African football once again after 39 long years. It's probably the right way to go. For Mitchell, this is a return to familiar surroundings. He gets to rehabilitate his reputation somewhat. And hopefully the accounting is a little better on the part of the Ugandan FA the second time around. And that should um, ultimately pay off for both parties. You might say it's a little bit underwhelming that Uganda are going back. You know, they, they say you never go back. But hey, um, this is Uganda. They have a reasonable foundation in terms of good players. And if they can get the structure right and with Mitchell, a coach who knows his way around and has worked with FIFA before, things should go quite well the second time around, I feel. Yes, so could this be another great spell ahead for Uganda's cranes with uh, Micho? Thanks, Solis. Stay with us. This is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. Still to come, our interview with Nigeria international Ramon Aziz, who plays in the Spanish La Liga. He tells us who the most difficult opponent he's ever come up against in Spain is. You can follow us on Twitter at Planet Sport FA and our website is planetsport.tv. You can download our app and listen to the show anytime and access past programs in our archive. To get the app, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. Right to social media now, and last week we spoke about the Confederation of African Football giving its support to FIFA's proposal to hold the World Cup every two years instead of every four years, even though the Africa Cup of Nations is staged every two years right now. We'll see how it works out in practice, but it seems as though the calendar might be too congested to have the Nations Cup every two years, so it might move to becoming once every four years. The Nations Cup is a major revenue earner for CAF, and it plays a big part in the development of African football. And also the World Cup every four years gives it that feeling maybe of being special, which might not be the case if it's held every two years. So last week we asked her for your views on having the World Cup every two years. With your comments is Planet Sport Football Africa's Ash Tikiwa. Thanks, Steve. And we start today on WhatsApp with Smart Eddie in Uganda who says, I say no because having a World Cup every two years will slightly decrease the competition battle. Players will not play at their level best, knowing that even if they don't perform well, they can come back again after only two years. And Robert Francis Mugabe in South Sudan agrees. African football development relies on CAF, says Robert. It's so sad to hear that the continental body wants the World Cup to be played every two years while we are still struggling to develop our own football. We're pushing for the World Cup when we should be improving our AFCON, CAF Champions League and CAF Confederation Cup League first. And we always welcome your voice notes here on Planet Sport Football Africa. And here's a comment from Mohammed in Sierra Leone. To have the World Cup every two years for me is not good for so many reasons. First of all, the African continent economically we are not strong to partake in short major tournaments within the shortest possible time. Even our own tournament, the African Nations Cup, it is difficult to host it and to implement it. And besides, the World Cup will lost its value 
every after four years we see the World Cup play. That excitement will die. And Emma in the Gambia agrees. For me, the World Cup should remain every four years, says Emma. Every two years is too soon. The big players will not be committed to their countries as they have too many games to play at club level. With that, the value of the World Cup will be diminished. And Bolaji Jr. in Nigeria also agrees. I don't support having the World Cup every two years, says Bolaji Jr. Let it remain every four years. However, Lawrence Mendy in the Gambia is very positive about the proposals. I think having the World Cup every two years is a good idea, says Lawrence, because this is about the world of football, in which every country can contest if they qualify. If CAF has given its support, I think they will find an alternative way to decide when the Cup of Nations will be played. Mendes in Tanzania is also enthusiastic. I think it would be a great decision to have the World Cup every two years, says Mendes. And Moses Nchindankamanyi in Cameroon is also positive, if a little more cautious. It's a good idea having the World Cup every two years, but not alongside the African Nations Cup, says Moses. These are two huge and very important tournaments for Africa and the world, so they can't be played in the same year. After each tournament, we need enough time for the next host to prepare for the next one, and if not, many countries won't be able to host. But overall this week, most of our correspondents, like Francisco Dodoma in Malawi, are in favor of keeping things as they are now. There are a number of factors to consider before deciding on this, says Francisco. However, I look mainly at authenticity, preparation and logistics issues. After consideration, I would go for staging the World Cup every four years so that the competition stays authentic. Having it every two years would dilute the meaning of the tournament and it would be very expensive for the teams, especially from Africa, where resources and football development is a challenge. And Shamsu in Ghana feels very strongly about this question. It looks like FIFA doesn't care about the players' welfare anymore, says Shamsu. This is the same FIFA that said players should rest for about a month when a season is completed. And I totally disagree with this from FIFA. And that point is also picked up by Balong Baji in the Gambia. FIFA's move to have this prestigious tournament every two years is more concerned with making money than helping players stay healthy, says Bolong. It may have an impact on players' health as they may not have enough resting time and it can also hamper the schedules for qualifications and playoffs. And finally, Frida Vienda Okachi in Kenya reminds us that there's another important event held every four years that should be taken into consideration. For me, having the World Cup every two years won't give the teams, or rather the countries, enough time to prepare well. Also, football is among the best sports at the Olympic Games, where everyone will get the energy to be involved through watching and knowing what's happening. So let it remain every four years, and that will give the fans the urge to watch and listen wherever they are, says Frida. So there you are, Steve. Most of our correspondents would like to see things staying as they are now due to doubts about the competition retaining its high quality and concerns that a World Cup every two years would have on the health of the players. Well, thanks, Ash. That's Planet Sport Football Africa's Ash Tikiwa. Uh, really interesting that. I thought a lot of people would be in favour of having more of the World Cup and having it every two years. So uh, thanks to everybody who got in touch and uh, uh, very revealing those comments.
Right, this week we're asking who could be the surprise team in the English Premier League this season, as it's just two weeks away now to the kickoff of the new Premier League season.、Uh, so, outside of the big guns, which team could be a surprise this season and maybe challenge for a top six finish? So, I'm talking outside of the regular top performers like Man City, Man United, Liverpool, Chelsea, Leicester, Tottenham.、Uh, we'll say Arsenal as well, but outside of those. Which smaller team do you think might do well and maybe challenge for a top six finish? You can post a comment on our Facebook page. That's Planet Sport Football Africa, or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. Which could be the surprise team in the English Premier League this season? We're now to our interview with Ramon Aziz, a Nigeria international who plays in Spain. He's a former youth international. Aziz has been in Spanish football since 2011, rising through the ranks at Almeria before a short spell at CD Lugo led to a switch to Granada in 2019. Now Aziz is a midfielder. He's represented his country at all age levels, including at the 2014 FIFA World Cup in Brazil. And he spoke to Planet Sport Football Africa's Olawashina Okaleji on life as an African in Spain. From the beginning, it's not easy. It's not an easy task. But I give thanks to to Almighty for where I am today and what He has been doing in my life. It's not easy. I mean, for a young footballer to go into a country you don't speak the language, you don't understand the food and culture and what have you. How have you managed to have stayed? You know. So strong and、um, um, surviving in Spain amid all of these、um, challenges as a young African. You know, from the first, from the beginning, you know, it's very difficult. But with time, I, I got used to it. Talking about the food and and the language, you know. Firstly, when I got there, the first thing they told me, like、uh, the president of of my team, then my ex team, then, which is Almeria, told me that I have to go and study, you know. But I told him. <laughs> Then I told him no, I can't put two things together. I have to do one and leave one. Okay. Then he told me okay. Then I will, I will, I will have to collect a, a lecture a lecturer for you, so that you can understand the language. But from the beginning, I started with the lecturer. But at the end, maybe we spent like six months together. I couldn't understand anything. I, I just told him. I said no, I'm not doing this again. That I'm going to learn the language by myself. Then I started speaking with my teammates. Maybe I want. I need something. I will tell them this, this. They've started laughing at me, but at the end, maybe in two, two and a half years, then I started speaking the language. We know some Africans tend to be frustrated. They can't speak the language. They can't settle in the culture. For you, if there is an African young player listening to you now, what are the tips you give them about wanting to move to another country where they can't even speak the language? Well, firstly, I will tell them to just ask. Patient, because anything you want to do in this life, you just have to have patience. Everything is, is like a process, you know. Because when I, when I, as I told you earlier, when I got to the to the country, you know, first thing I have to do is to look for how I'm going to speak the language, because that's the first thing you have to do, to to learn how to speak the language. Then the remaining thing will fall apart. So、um, you've played for Nigeria, you captain them, you played on the 17 World Cup, on the 20 World Cup. And also the FIFA 2014 World Cup with Nigeria, one of the few players to have achieved that. You must really be proud of yourself. It's not an easy journey and an easy task, 
you know. But I'll give thanks to God because uh, firstly, when we play under 17, then I couldn't maybe think maybe I would reach the uh, the other level to play in under 20. Talking about playing in the in the World Cup then in 2014, but it take a lot of dedication and hard work. But lastly, I would say I give thanks to Almighty. Everything happened with time. Now, now, I mean, you've been in and out of the Super Eagles. You are one of those few players alongside John Mikel who be, I mean, what an illustrious list. Um, Chinedu or Basi, few of those who actually went all the way to play category football for Nigeria. How difficult is it for a Nigerian player to represent the country at all category? Well, as I said earlier, it takes a lot of hard work and dedication and determination. You know, if... From the beginning, I told to myself and I said, oh, I want to do this thing. Because then I saw a lot of players, a lot of Nigerian players, you know, that have passed, like the level that I've passed through now. And I said, if they can do it, I can do it as well. So I give myself a target and I give thanks to God. Everything, as you can see now, everything falling. What does it feel like to play alongside some notable names in world football like Cristiano Ronaldo, Lionel Messi... Antoine Griezmann, all of these players who make the Spanish La Liga so exciting. What does it feel like for a young Nigerian, a young African to do that? Well, I feel very, very, very grateful to God and I feel very proud of myself because it's not, it's not easy, you know, for a young player to leave his country and go to another country and play alongside with all this kind of caliber of players. And I would say it takes a lot of hard work, dedication, and I'm still working to keep continue to keep going because I can't say now I'm 28 years old, but I still want to keep going as far as I can go. Then with time, everything will, everything will fall in part, and let's see what is going to happen in the future. When you look at all these big names, Gareth Bale, a lot of them in the La Liga and all that, who has been the most difficult player you've ever faced in all of this? I mean, I know you've faced over 300 players, but who was who, who, the most difficult you faced? Well, I have faced a lot of difficult players. A lot of difficult, 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 difficult. Well, if I have to choose, there, there are a lot of players that I have faced, but I will choose like maybe five that I know that they're, for me, <laughs> they give me like a lot of tough time. But... If I have to choose one, I will have to choose uh, Lionel Messi because uh, no one can stop him. Let's just, <laughs> let just put it there. No one can stop him. No one can stop him. But I face some of players like uh, Iniesta, Xavi, Cristiano Ronaldo, and uh, Antonio Griezmann. But Messi, you can't you can take that from him. He's, he's, he's the best. That's Ramon Aziz, a Nigeria international who plays in the Spanish La Liga with Granada. He was speaking to Planet Sport Football Africa's Oluwashina Okaleji. Our guest analyst, Solis Chuku, this week in Lagos in Nigeria. A great career that he's had so far. Yes, Ramon Aziz has been a great servant of Nigeria football. He was still for great things as a young player, really. But Amaria getting relegated from La Liga at the time when his stock was at its highest in 2014-15 did him no favours. And he sort of ended up in a bit of a wilderness period in his career um, between 2015 and 2019. In January of 2019, he joined Granada and that allowed him to be a part of the club's promotion from Segunda División. 
after that he played a very key role in their first season back in the top flight. Coach Diego Martinez used him as sort of an aggressive ball winner high up the pitch against bigger teams to allow Granada punch above their weights and ultimately they finished inside European places. Those eye-catching performances earned him a recall to the national team five years after his previous appearance for the 2021 Africa Cup of Nations qualifying cycle. So that speaks to his longevity and his sustained quality. Quite the career for Ramon Aziz. He's really assimilated into the culture and language of Spain and has distinguished himself in a difficult environment for African footballers, while with racism and you know all the stuff that African players face playing in Europe. Against such daunting odds, it's important to have an anchor and clearly his belief in God has seen him through some very difficult times and he's now well established in Spain. Yeah, so we'll see what lies ahead for Ramon Aziz in his career. Thanks a lot, Solis. Right, before we go, a reminder of our question on social media this week. Which do you think could be the surprise team in the English Premier League this season? Uh, So outside of the big guns, which team could be a surprise this season and maybe challenge for a top six finish? So I'm talking outside of the regular top performers like Man City, Man United, Liverpool, Chelsea, Leicester, Tottenham. Uh, We'll say Arsenal as well. But outside of those, which smaller team do you think might do well and maybe challenge for a top six finish? You can go to our Facebook page and post a comment there. That's Planet Sport Football Africa. Or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. Always great to hear from you. Uh, that's it for the show for this week. So from me, Steve Vickers and Ash Tikiwa in Harare, from our guest analyst Solis Chuku in Nigeria, and from Stuart Weir, who's currently at the Olympics in Tokyo. Thanks a lot for listening. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.